like that. So uh, again, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, we're going to start here in verse 1. And uh, last week we finished John chapter 3, and once again we looked at John the Baptist in his ministry, and we saw that John's ministry was decreasing while Jesus' ministry was increasing. And with that, some of John's disciples were confused. They had gotten kind of caught up in the hype of the grandeur of John's ministry and being part of that. And as their ministry began to shrink and the Lord's began to expand, they were really tempted. And some of them seemed to take the bait of jealousy. And hey, what's going on here? Remember, they went to John and they said, hey, the guy you made famous is baptizing and everyone's going over there now. And John didn't take that bait. Remember, he corrected them. And he said, I've told you, I'm not the Christ. I'm the one that is, came to uh, make straight the way of the Lord. And he said, my joy is filled in hearing his voice. And we kind of talked about that in our own lives, those temptations of, of jealousy when we see maybe others prospering or when we make things more about us than the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we have all things in the Lord, and praise God on top of that, when we humble our hearts before Him, He exalts us in due time. We also saw there in the last verse really kind of a summary of the whole chapter that in Christ Jesus we have life, but outside of Christ, the wrath of God rests upon those that don't know Him. And once again, it was a stirring for us to be preaching Christ Jesus, to again point people to salvation only found in Him by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Well, this morning here, as we come to chapter 4, we see Jesus on the move, of get, uh, move again. And through the first four chapters, we've already seen Jesus uh, move about the countryside quite a bit. And now we see him move from Judea, where uh, he was teaching and the disciples were baptizing, going back up north to Galilee. And we're going to see this morning, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. And our text tells us that normally Jews and Samaritans uh, didn't have a lot of dealings. And in fact, Jews normally wouldn't even go the way to Galilee through Samaria, though it was the easiest way. And yet the Lord needed to go to Galilee, and we'll see that he needed to go through Samaria because there was a woman there whom he needed to minister to. We'll see it was a woman that had religion, but was very void of the Lord and very deep into sin. Jesus didn't go to condemn her, but he went to her to show her that he offered salvation. In fact, we'll see him showing her that she was condemned already, but he was the one that offers living water and eternal life to all who come on him. And some great lessons in this for evangelism. We'll see how Jesus takes her from physical water and kind of natural things and conversation to living water and spiritual things. And oftentimes people struggle in sharing their faith and they say, well, what do I do? Just come up and start talking about heaven and hell. And we see Jesus here really talking about just what's going on practically, and then using it as a platform to take her over to the more important spiritual things. And I think there's a great lesson for us in this. We're going to see how her eyes were open to truth through, again, the law of God, and then how once she came to this place of faith or is in the process of coming to faith, she goes and tells others about Jesus, which we're called to do as well. So let's just start here by reading the first 10 verses of, of the chapter. And then we'll start to lay this out, and, and hopefully I'll stay at a nice pace so that we can get through this text. And again, I think it's a text you gotta you gotta look at it together. We wanna, you know, we don't wanna look so closely at every tree. We don't, you know, lose sight of the forest and the total message here. 
Uh, so let's start here reading the first 10 verses. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city, a city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, thus sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I guess reading that made me thirsty for something. <laughs> now again, we know that Jesus went from Galilee, uh, Galilee to Jerusalem, then out to Judea. He was out preaching the gospel while his disciples baptized. Again, we saw the crowds going from John to Jesus, which was part of God's prophetic plan. And then in the midst of this, in the midst again of, of a great multitude of people, because remember, John's ministry was so big that it, it got national attention. Everyone knew who John the Baptist was. Now Jesus is baptizing more than John. And so it's in the midst of what would appear to be this incredible revival happening out in the Judean wilderness. And I think a natural man, the last thing he would do would say, I got to get away from this. But it says here that Jesus needed to leave all that was going on out there in the Judean wilderness. And we should ask the question, why did he need to go? And I think that our text here gives us some insights into some of those reasons why. I really believe the first reason why the Lord needed to leave is because notice the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making more disciples than John. I remember when the Pharisees, these religious individuals that were really for the most part peddling a false workspace gospel, when they had heard about all of the baptisms that John was again performing, they had gone out to him. But we read in some other gospels that they went out to John, not wanting to repent, but wanting to find out kind of what was the secret of his success, trying to get him on their side and so forth. And remember, John said to him, uh, you know what, uh, you, you need to go show the fruits of repentance. And he says, you're a brood of vipers. John calls him out. John saw through their hypocrisy. And in the time that John had begun to baptize and the time that Jesus is now uh, preaching and his disciples are baptizing, we've seen no change in these Pharisees as, as a whole. We've seen Nicodemus come to Jesus and perhaps some of them individually are being touched, but their agenda is still the same. And so it seems these Pharisees have heard about the success of Jesus and now uh, no doubt they're being stirred up to come out to inquire of him. And I really think that perhaps there's three different ways that they would approach him. And none of these ways are what Jesus wanted to partake of. No doubt some would come out like with John wanting to partner with Jesus. You know, wanting to say, hey, why don't you come in? We'll, we'll, we'll kind of mix together what we're doing here. And for the sake of numbers, we'll reach more people if we come together in unity. And one thing you never find Jesus doing in the scripture, you never find the apostles doing, you never find them sharing the platform with false teachers for numbers sake or for the sake of unity. 
And sadly, I do think you see that a lot in Christianity today. You see a lot of evangelical, supposedly Bible-believing Christians partnering with individuals, promoting false gospels, mostly works-based gospels that you find at times in Roman Catholicism and even in other Protestant movements that aren't founded in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the justification always seems to be, well, we reach more people in doing this, and if we're unified, then God's going to bless us more. But listen, when you start unifying with men in that way, you know what happens? You start getting disunity with God. And unity with the Lord is far better than unity with men that aren't preaching a clear true gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you never see the Lord wavering in that. You never see the apostles wavering in that. And these things are written for our example. It seems as well that, again, and we see this throughout the Lord's ministry, especially early on, there were some that wanted to take Jesus and make him the king of Israel. And again, we've seen even the disciples that their mentality, it seems, through most of Jesus' ministry was that he was going to be an earthly king that was there to conquer Rome and to make Israel kind of the you know, superpower upon the earth. And yet Jesus forbid that from happening time and time again because he didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom for us to partake of for 70 or 100 years, you know, if we're blessed. But instead, he came to set up an eternal kingdom in the heavenlies forever and ever and ever by making that way of salvation, making that way of forgiveness, so that after this life, we can partake of everlasting life, having our sins washed. And no doubt, even at this point, there were Pharisees that were upset with the ministry of John, and they were upset with the ministry of Jesus. And we'll see this grow, but it seems that even at this point, there would be Pharisees that would want to come out and try to end the Lord's life. As we know, eventually, they would gather together and cry out, crucify him. But listen, as in other times, the Lord's time had not come to go to the cross, so listen, for those reasons, absolutely, he needed to leave. There was a greater reason, though. He needed to leave to go to Galilee, and we'll see that there was folks to minister to in Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, from uh, Judea or Jerusalem up to Galilee, there were three different routes they could take. They could take an eastern route, they could take a western route by the sea, or they could take the easy route in the middle right through Samaria. And yet the Jews would rarely go that way. In fact, we see the, and we read about the woman saying to Jesus, you know what, Jews and Samaritans, they don't have dealings with one another. And the Jews absolutely did not have dealings with Samaritans for many different reasons. Number one, it was because of their own pride. It was a level of prejudice. And it was also just ignorance concerning the scripture that they didn't have dealings with the Samaritans. Now, you may be wondering, who are these Samaritans? Who are these? Because we know that there's Israelites and there's Jews here in the land. And the Samaritans, really, they're, they're a group of people that were mixed blood of Jewish and Gentile blood. Um, you know, back in the days of the patriarchs and the kings before, the northern tribes, remember, at one point had been taken into captivity because of the rebellion by the king of Assyria. And he brought a different people group into that land. Well, there were some Jews still in that land, and eventually, again, they married one another, and this kind of new group was formed called the Samaritans. Though they were part Jewish, they couldn't establish their genealogy. And remember, genealogy was huge to the Jews because they were told that through their genealogy would come the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But since they couldn't establish their genealogy, the Jews did not acknowledge them even being part Jewish, 
and they rejected them. And then on top of that, the Samaritans, instead of saying, well, can we then convert to Judaism and come in that means, which they could have, instead of doing that, they decided, and we'll see this talked about in this text, just to build their own temple in a place other than Jerusalem, which God had not instructed them to do, and that infuriated the Jews all the more. And so there was this great hatred in the Jews' heart towards these that are in Samaria. We'll talk more about that as we go deeper here into our text. And so, listen, what we do know is that Jews rarely went that way. Jesus, though, again, needed to get to Galilee. Uh, We'll see there's some healings that take place once he gets to Galilee, and I think that this was an urgent trip for those means. Also, again, he needed to go through Samaria to get there quickly, but on top of that, we'll see here, and we already read a bit about her, we'll see more about her, that you've heard of, you, you know, we've heard of the Good Samaritan, right? He needs to now go minister to the Bad Samaritan, because here's this woman who really is in great rebellion, we'll find out, uh, she was a sinner, and yet the Lord wanted to go find the Samaritan, we'll see that she's an outcast, to minister to her. And amazingly, he's willing to leave these big crowds to go find this individuals. You know why? Because Jesus came to save sinners, not to hobnob with the prideful out there in the Judean wilderness. And I rejoice in that this morning because I know know that I'm a sinner that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And I rejoice that, again, he came and he found me and he came and he found you. And if you don't know him today, listen, he's seeking after you for you to come to a relationship with him. He is so good to us. Now we come here to verse 5, and it says, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Shikar, or Sychar, uh, uh, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, therefore Jesus therefore being weary from his journey, thus sat by the well, it was about the sixth hour. A few things here real quick. Uh, Jacob's well, really it's a place, it's interesting, it represents death and life. Jacob had purchased this well, and then After the children of Israel went into Egypt and were in bondage there for about 400 years, they had taken, again, Jacob's sons, Joseph's bones down with them. He had passed away and they had his bones there. But when they came out, he requested to be buried there at Jacob's well. And they had taken his bones and they had buried him at Jacob's well. And that's a picture of death, no doubt. Bones are a picture of death. And in a way, it's kind of a picture of this woman before she comes to Christ, that Jesus would have this encounter of, and that she was in sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that Jacob's bones were taken out of Egypt and buried there in, in, by Jacob's well, not just because of death, but listen, it was acknowledgement that through faith in the Messiah, one day those bones would be resurrected into eternal life. And that's still the hope, again, for all of those that die with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say that again, in a way, Jacob's, Jacob's well represented the death of this woman's sin, but it offers, also represents the life offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't think it's by chance that this all happens at Jacob's well. Notice as well, again, it says that Jesus is weary. And this is very interesting because Jesus Christ never ceased being God at any point in eternity. When he was here on earth, again, he was 100% God but he was also 100% man. And we see that he emptied himself. And we see that Jesus absolutely uh, was, was human. And we see his humanity in this. We see again that he was weary from the journey. 
and he embraced that. And very easily he could have said, well, listen, I'm God. I don't need to be weary. But though he never ceased being God, he emptied himself and again had a great dependency upon the Father and of the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of his weariness, he goes and he sits. Let me ask you a little, little application for us. Do you ever get weary in life? Maybe some of you, a few of you look weary right now. You know, you get weary in life. What did Jesus do when he got weary? He went and he sat, right? He went and he sat. And when we get weary, listen, we need to learn to sit as well. Now it's important where you sit. When you're weary, sometimes we just want to sit in front of the television set, right? I'm not saying there's not a time or a place for that. But listen, when you're weary, when you're weary in your soul, especially, you know where you need to go and sit? You need to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will give you strength and he will revive you. The Bible says that again, that, that when, we, when we wait upon him, he'll renew our strength and so forth. Also notice again, the time of the day that all this is going on, it's the sixth hour. And in the scriptures, we got to know the first hour is always 6 a.m. And the 12th hour is 6 p.m. That's generally when you have sunlight. And so the sixth hour means that it is high noon. And it seems, again, we're going to see this woman coming out to get water at this well at high noon. And most Bible commentators believe that is an indication that she was an outcast, that she wasn't accepted by the other women, um, that, you know, the women normally would go in the cool of the day to get the water. But the fact that she has to go at noon shows that she wasn't welcomed by those other women. There's another thing that gives us a clue to this as well, and I won't give away completely what we're about to get into, but I think probably a lot of you are familiar with the text already. We're going to see her eventually coming to, really it seems, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and she goes to tell others, but it says she goes and she tells the men. It seems she had no dealing with the women whatsoever because she had been, again, pushed to the side and was an outcast. So this kind of sets the table for what we begin to read about next in verse 7. It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Again, it's, it's noon. It's, it's uh, you know, a very hot time of the day. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that you being a Jew ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So again, Jesus is going completely out of the way. This isn't the ordinary way that a Jew would go from Jerusalem or Judea up to Galilee. And on top of that, Again, as she says here, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Later on, the disciples come back from shopping. You know, they have their grocery bags and things. And, and they're amazed that he's even talking to a woman. Because in this day, it was not customary, generally in public, for men to talk to women, especially for rabbis to talk to women, especially for Jewish rabbis to talk to Samaritan women. And the Lord basically is defying all of the customs of the day. He's willing to cross all of those boundaries. Why? Because he knows this woman needs the Lord Jesus Christ. She needs salvation. She needs to come to a place of faith. So he's willing to cross all of these divisions. And think about the day we're living in today where there are so many divisions, are there not? It seems there's just divisions everywhere. And there, there's, just, there's people that that, that all they want to do is divide. All they want to do is to, again, within our own nation, 
say you can talk to this person if you believe this, but if you believe that, you can't talk to this person. And there's some people that say, well, if you don't believe the way I do, you can't even talk to me. And we see a lot of this going on here with the Jews and the Samaritans, but the Lord was not restricted by that. The Lord said, listen, I'm not going to be bound by these, these, these uh, restrictions that men have put up. This woman needs the Lord, and he's willing to go and to talk to her. And I found in life that when you're willing to cross those, those you know what, restrictions put up by culture and so forth, sometimes it's the most powerful and the most impacting uh, you know what, uh, way that we can share Jesus. Because it throws people for a loop when you know what, you're not kind of part of their culture, and yet you're willing to come over and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, or even to talk to them about your faith. And I really want to encourage you, please, please, please do not take the bait being put out there to say, well, you don't talk to these people because they don't believe the way that you believe. Everyone needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has the heart for all these individuals, even the people that you think of of being the most vile individuals because, again, they don't honor the Lord or they, you know, they're, they're so far out there with their, you know, lack of morality and so forth. And I, I, I think that there is a poisoning happening to a degree in the body of Christ to begin to think that, you know what, yeah, we don't talk to these people. We don't associate with these people. Listen, the Jews had a greater hatred for the Samaritans, perhaps, than, and the Samaritans towards the Jews than maybe any level of prejudice in our own nation today. And yet Jesus said, I'm not going to be bound by this. I'm going right through Samaria, and I'm going to talk to this woman because I'm concerned about her soul. He saw past all of this, you know what, nonsense, so to speak. And listen, if you've been pigeonholed and you're just in that place of, hey, if you don't believe like me, you're the scum of the earth. Well, listen, outside of Christ, you're the scum of the earth, and so am I. It's only the grace of God that saves us. And so let's learn from the Lord's example here, amen? Now, we also see that the disciples have gone away to buy food. Listen, this is another picture of Jesus' humanity. The Lord could have just manifest lunch, right? Hey, what do you guys want? You know, and just manifest it. But he didn't abuse, the, the, again, the, the, his own power there. And he subjected himself to, to laws and so forth. And when he would bring forth a miracle that would serve a great purpose to glorify God, those miracles weren't done just for the convenience of daily living. Also here again, the Samaritan says to Jesus after he says, give me a drink of water, she says, you know, how is it that you're a Jew? You're asking uh, me for a drink, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we've already touched on this, but just to touch on a little bit more, listen, this isn't good commentary on the Jews. Um, in fact, later on, uh, Paul, when he's writing Romans, he says to the Jews in Romans 2.24, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, he says, listen, the Gentiles hate God because of you, because of your behavior. And here's this Samaritan woman really living in a region completely surrounded by Jews, if you're familiar with the map. And here's this rabbi, this Jew coming and asking for water. And her first response is, what are you doing asking me? Uh, you know what? Jews hate us and so forth. And again, as a result, Samaritans hated Jews as well because they had misrepresented God. And listen, there's a lot of hatred towards Christianity in the world today, and it seems to be a growing hatred. One thing we want to make sure is that hatred is towards us because of our love for God and not because of sinful treatment of others. 
Again, we don't get a pass to say, well, I can treat this person poorly because of how they believe. Oh, because of that, you know, a bumper sticker there on, their, on the back of their car. I can race by them and, you know, kind of give them one of these and so forth. No, we, we, don't, we don't have a call to that. We are called never to compromise the truth. We're not talking about that. But absolutely to know this person is a person that desperately needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to represent the Lord in my behavior in my activity, in the way that I carry myself. In fact, 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Notice, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or notice what, or a busybody in other people's matters. And I always laugh when I read that because, you know, a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a busybody are all put in one category here. And again, there were a lot of Jews that had been marked by the Samaritans. And again, there was a, a, a hatred towards them, not because of the way they were walking with God, but the way they were misrepresenting God. So it's not a good commentary on the Jews. But listen, this is also not a good commentary on the Samaritan woman. Because here's the God of heaven right before asking for a drink of water. And not only does she not obey him, not only does she not serve him, but instead she questions him. And people say, well, but, but she didn't know him. But yeah, the world doesn't know the Lord. It's a picture of fallen man here. And sadly, there's a lot of fallen men that don't know the Lord that actually believe that they won't give an account to God, but they're going to actually question God themselves and they're going to put them on trial. Listen, that's not the way that it's going down. In the midst of all this, though, we see again Jesus responding with great kindness and patience and love. Notice verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so Jesus has asked for a cup of natural water to quench his natural thirst. She doesn't respond to that. Instead, she questions, why are you asking me for this water? And Jesus from there immediately moves from the natural water that he needed to quench his thirst to the spiritual living water of the Holy Spirit that she needed to save her soul. A huge lesson here. The Lord is more concerned about her soul than his physical thirst being quenched. How often do our earthly needs trump the need that the world has for salvation? Think about it. How many times are we more concerned in a busy store and getting to the front of the line than letting our light shine? Are we ever guilty of that? How often are we more guilty in having a quick pace throughout the day, getting done all the tasks on our list, Versus seeing a face before us that the Lord would want to prompt us to go over and minister to. How many times are we more busy shopping for what we need versus saying, Lord, as I go out, are there souls that you would want me to shop for to share the Lord Jesus Christ with? I think we're all guilty at this at times. I think it's very easy to get in that place because there's so much hustle and bustle. And again, I know where we live. You got a a lot of people work two jobs. Some people work three jobs just to be able to pay the bills and so forth. And you got your kids and all this stuff and there's all these demands. And it's easy to fall in that place to say, I just got to get my physical needs met. I don't even have the time to, again, consider those around me. 
And yet we learn from the Lord here, there's been a long journey. He's physically thirsty, but he puts that to the side to be able to minister to this woman's spiritual needs. And one thing we need to know that when we walk in that way, we're never going to lack what we need. The Lord's going to meet us where we're at because he's told us, again, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. We got to believe that. We also need to know, again, Jesus had the full measure of the Spirit, and he was being led by the Holy Spirit. And no doubt the Holy Spirit prompted him, go talk to this woman. Now, there's a lot of mystery in this because, again, he never ceased being God, but we know that he had the full measure of the Spirit. And for us to be able to be effective, again, in our day-to-day living, it ain't going to happen when we go out in the flesh. We better be filled with the Spirit every single day. And say, Lord, help me today. And all the busyness, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could be led by you in my interaction with others. If there's someone that maybe I need to pray with, maybe there's someone I just, you know, I'm so busy, I need to stop and see them to go be kind to them. Someone that you would want me to go share my faith with, to share the gospel, Christ crucified and raised from the dead with. We need the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us because this is when we're led by the Spirit in these things, it will save us from wasting a lot of time trying to go out and do the ministry in the flesh. That's, that's probably the worst combination at all, of all. Notice as well the Lord says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who's before you, listen, you, you, you would have asked him for living water. If, if you knew what was standing before you. And think about this. How many people are lost because they just don't know? They don't know. And their flesh resists the Lord. There's so much hatred in this world against the Lord. We read in 1 Corinthians, the enemy blinds people from the Lord. But if they only knew. How many people in your life, you think about them and you think, if they only knew what I knew, surely they call upon Christ. If they only knew they were real sinners and that Jesus rose from the grave and what he has to offer them, they would call upon Christ if they only knew. And sometimes we just say, oh, well, I guess they don't know and we go our own way. But listen, the Bible instructs us to pray for those that don't know that they would come to a place of knowing. And let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you praying? Or you just say, if they only knew. We're instructed to pray for these people that they would come to know. 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore I exhort first that all supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made notice for all men, for kings who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet life and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to save. He desires for all of them to know, and he instructs us to be praying for them that they would come to know. Are you praying for people? Are you praying for the Samaritans, so to speak, in your life? Are you lifting up to the Lord? Are you praying again? When we talk about, you know, an outreach like Resurrection Sunday, and I say, hey, we need to be praying. Do you take that to heart and say, I want to pray for this. I want to pray eyes will be open up. Are we in that place where, again, we're so busy, we don't even make time to pray? Oh, Lord, help us in this. Verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Even his livestock drink from this well, Jesus. Notice here, she's like Nicodemus, who's kind of on the other end of society. Remember, he has reverence for men, this Pharisee. Here she is, again, she's an outcast amongst the Samaritans, and yet both of them have something in common. 
they have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. The Lord talked about being born again to Nicodemus, and his answer was, how can I, when I'm old, crawl up into my mother's womb and be born again? And the Lord's like, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand what I'm talking about? And the Lord talks to her about living water. Again, he's speaking of spiritual things, but her mind, again, immediately goes back to earthly things. She's thinking, there's some water that I can drink, and physically, I'll never thirst for it again. Neither of them, again, are aware that the Lord's talking about their soul. They're not considering their ladder in. They're not considering the fact that they greatly need God. And that's where so many people are running around. They're just running around like, again, oftentimes we do as Christians just about the daily business, except they don't know the Lord at all. They never have, again, any fellowship with God at all. And they're just so caught up with the daily things. When someone even talks about living water, they just go to think, oh, a glass of water I can drink so I won't have to come to this well anymore and my physical thirst will be quenched. It's really one of the ways the enemy blinds souls. People running around trying to find the drink of water in this life that will satisfy them physically. In fact, Jesus says to her, John, or in verse 13, Jesus answers and said to her, whoever drinks this of this water will thirst again. So he says, again, I offer you living water. You're thinking of it as natural water, but you can drink all the natural water you want and you're going to thirst again. We, we all know that's true, right? It, it's a picture, though, of everything this life has to offer. Listen, the things of this world will never, ever satisfy your soul. And there's people running around all over the place trying to get satisfaction in their soul from natural things versus coming to the God who made them, who is the only one who can satisfy, again, their soul. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And then Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 6, 7, all the labor of a man uh, is for his mouth, and yet the soul is never satisfied. The eyes of man, the soul of man, never satisfied when they seek for satisfaction from the things of this life. Solomon himself, again, he wrote that when, and he, he, he dabbled in everything the world had to offer. He, da- he dabbled in every pleasure. He dabbled in building things. He dabbled in zoology. You name it, he dabbled in it, and he partook of it, and he dipped, uh, dipped his foot deep in it. And at the end of it, he said, this is all vanity. None of it can satisfy the soul. And his conclusions of, at the end of it, he says, you need to fear God. Life is found in God. There were, there, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a, uh, it, it was, it was a, a, a guy a few generations back who was extremely wealthy. He was kind of a recluse and, and a, a, a real peculiar individual, but incredibly wealthy. And they said, how much money do you need to be satisfied? And his answer was just one more dollar. And he get that dollar, how much you need? One more dollar. The soul never, ever satisfied. Jesus isn't coming to meet again. He meets our, he, he provides what we need, but he knows that's not what she needed. She needs a relationship with the God of heaven. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up notice here into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So the Lord is saying, listen, I don't want to just give you a physical water. I want to give you eternal life. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit here. 
He's referring again to the work of the Spirit of God that begins when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes and he seals us, and then when he comes into our life and we allow him to work in our life. In fact, Jesus said in John 3, 37, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. He spoke this concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, though, she immediately kind of goes back to the natural. Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She's still thinking in natural terms. He's talking about spiritual terms. He's showing you, you need to be forgiven. You need everlasting life. You need the Holy Spirit. Her mind, though, goes back to, yeah, give me that so I don't have to come here at noon and draw water out. Have you ever found this to be the case with people you're ministering to? No matter how you want, much you want to talk about the spiritual things, they keep bringing it back. They think God is there just to, again, help them pay their bills and get through life and be happy here. Then they die and they go to the grave. And again, God is rich to us. God blesses us. He sends the rain on the wicked and the righteous alike. But our need is greater than these things. We need eternal life found through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Forgiveness only found through him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, and now the Lord, again, now the Lord begins to really kind of plow and cultivate her heart. Now he's going to get her attention. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have And the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Again, the Lord is talking to her about spiritual things. She doesn't seem to really get it. And so now what does the Lord do? The Lord takes her to the law of God. Go get your husband. He knew, again, the man living with her was not her husband. Him being God knew that she had had Five five husbands, and we don't know the backstory and all of that, but it doesn't sound very good. And he brings her to the point of showing her that she is a sinner. He's bringing a conviction there. He's not doing this to condemn her, and there's a difference in this. Again, we've seen that the Lord didn't come to condemn the world because why? The world's already condemned. But the world needs to see that it's condemned so that the world can, by the law of God that shows us we're condemned, be taught through the tutor of the law that we need a savior. And so the Lord is trying to show her, listen, I'm not talking about physical water here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your need for everlasting life. And we see here when he begins to talk to her about her sin, that her eyes begin to actually be open of why she needs the Lord, why she needs forgiveness, why she needs a relationship with God. A lot of people are running around saying, oh, you need Jesus, but they don't tell anyone why. In fact, there's a false gospel today that basically says, hey, come to our Jesus and he'll make your life better here on earth. That's not the Lord of the Bible. Though he ministers to here on earth and we can have peace in all things here on earth through him, but he has come again to save souls from eternal damnation. Now notice the Lord commends her. He says, you've spoken truly in this. And then this is a huge thing. This is really a must. It's really the first step in getting saved, acknowledging that you're a sinner. And amazingly, though, there's some people that will never take this step. Even bring up the law of God and their heart's so hardened, they'll keep saying, but I'm a good person. 
I'm okay. I'm not sick. I have no need of a physician. The Lord talks to her again about her sin, about her sexual immorality, about this place of fornication, and it seems a past adulterous relationships. And she recognizes here that, yeah, I'm in trouble. There's so many people, though, again, that have great spiritual leprosy because of their sin, and we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and you even bring them to the law of God, and they still don't get it. You got to pray for those people that they would get it. That we're sinners, that God is holy. And so the Lord, again, is not condemning her, but the Lord is showing her through the law to convict her, to bring her to that place of acknowledging she needs living water. Verse 19, the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The conversation is beginning to change a bit. For our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now again, She's kind of moving, praise God, from natural talk to spiritual things. She's realizing, listen, the only way this guy knows this stuff about me, he must be a prophet of God. There must be a revelation given to him from upon high. You're not a normal man. This is why we want to pray. And again, ministering to others, the Bible says that we should pray that we could prophesy. And listen, this is, this is prophesy, prophesying and God giving a word of knowledge you know, sometimes we'll give a word of knowledge, information that we normally wouldn't know. Prophecy more so, though, is, again, just sharing the scriptures with people in a manner that would impact their lives with unction of the Holy Spirit. So, again, she begins to receive the spiritual things, but notice verse 20, she does something that people oftentimes do, and we need to be aware of it in sharing the gospel. She immediately moves the conversation from her soul to church attendance. Well, listen, yeah, I go to church. You Jews go to church over there in Jerusalem, and we go to church over here. So actually, I'm okay. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I've had five husbands, and I'm shacking up right now. But I go to church over here, so I'm okay. And this is where a lot of Christians, they say, oh, wow, that's great. You go to church over there. God bless you. Listen, where you go to church doesn't save your soul. Now listen, it helps tremendously if you go to church where the word of God's preached, where the gospel's preached, where the word's rightly divided. It makes it hard to actually keep living in that way and go there week after week because hopefully there's some conviction week after week, not out of God wanting to hurt you, but God loving you and wanting to bring you to a better place. But too many times we take that bait. Oh, well, they go to church over there. In prayer this morning, someone prayed for a church in town where the pastor, I don't like even using the word for what I heard, went in front of the city council urging everyone to accept the transgender movement. We go to church over there. That's damning souls to hell. That's embracing sin. That's rebellion against God. God loves these people immensely, but they need to hear the truth that God made us male and female, and we need to put our trust in the Lord and acknowledge his standard of morality. So she throws that out. I go to church over there. Verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So basically, the Lord says, it doesn't matter where you go to church. 
It matters, but it doesn't matter in the sense of your salvation. Where you go to church, God's not going to say, hey, when you get to heaven, well, where'd you go to church? That's not going to be, again, the question. He basically even says there's way more knowledge in Jerusalem than there is here in Samaria. Kind of corrects her on comparing the two. But he says all that beside, listen, the hour's coming. And in fact, it is right now if you're really going to worship God. It's in spirit and truth. Which again, it doesn't matter where you're at. You need to have the Holy Spirit and be worshiping in truth. The way you get the Holy Spirit is by embracing the truth. That I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Lord, I want to put my faith and trust to you to be the Lord of my life. I receive the Holy Spirit. And then from there, we are to walk in the truth of God's word. That's how God's called us to worship. When we come to worship in song, we wanted to be led by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh, not trying to entertain in the flesh. And it seems, again, it's easy to fall into that pattern where worship's more about a concert and entertainment and, you know, it's someone ziplining through the sanctuary and all this kind of stuff. Versus let's lift our voices to God and then let's make sure the songs we're singing are actually truth, that they're actually biblically based. And I start cringing at times when I listen to Christian radio because of so much bad theology and unbiblical lyrics that are like being sung and being called Christian. But ultimately what he's talking about here is again, where you go to church doesn't save you. You need to have the Holy Spirit of God and that comes when you embrace the truth of the gospel. Verse 25, I think we're going to make it. <laughs> then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Listen, she's getting closer and closer to salvation. The Holy Spirit's opening her eyes. And we see something glorious here. Here's the Lord ministering to her. But at some point along this life, the life journey of this woman, someone had planted a seed. Someone had come along and said, listen, there's a Messiah that's going to come. There's the Christ who's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to bring truth. He's coming to bring salvation. Someone along the line planted a seed. And now here's God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, building on that seed that someone planted. Don't get disappointed when you share Jesus with someone and they don't receive. Yeah, we want to see him receive. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying that we you know, should not be sorrowful that they don't come to the Lord. But so oftentimes people come to God through a series of seeds being planted. Someone who is a Christian who, again, maybe wasn't given or prompted to share their faith, but they were just kind in the way that they behaved. And them knowing that they were a Christian. Sometimes it's maybe someone puts down a gospel track and someone else comes along and ends up reading it. Sometimes it's just, again, people maybe not even knowing you, but you praying for them. Or you, again, giving the opportunity to share the gospel with them, to plant those seeds. So much of ministry we do in our church is seed planting. Listen, we do a lot of outreaches, and uh, there's seeds that are planted, and sometimes it's three, four, five, six, seven, ten years later where they say, yeah, I came out to that Resurrection Sunday service, though they call it Easter and I heard the gospel, and now 10 years later, I've really given to my life, and here I am. 
Someone planted a seed. We need to be seed planters. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Boy, what an encounter. And at this point, his disciples came. They're back from the store with their bags and so forth. And, you know, they had to bring their own bags because they didn't want to spend 10 cents on bags at the store. It's like all, you know, different bags from different stores and stuff they've accumulated and whatnot. They marvel. They're tripping out because he's talking with a woman, again, a Samaritan woman. And yet, listen, wisely, not one of them said anything. They didn't say, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? This was a good move on their part. There are other times when the disciples don't know what to say instead of saying nothing. They say dumb things. And when you don't know what to say, you're better off saying nothing. And they just kind of take this in and they're observing it. And listen, sometimes in life, stuff gets stirred up and stuff happens that we don't expect, right? Sometimes it's things that if we immediately made a judgment, we'd say this is really good, but perhaps it's not. Maybe it's more temptation. Other times we say this is bad, but actually it's something God's going to use for good. And what these guys did is they watched and they listened and they, weren't, they were careful not to make a rash judgment. Proverbs 20, 25 says it's a snare for a man to devout rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. So they didn't jump the gun. They just stepped back and they observed. In verse 28, it says, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, notice that, you can go to the women. She said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And it seems pretty clear that this woman is in a place of, 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 at the minimum, coming to faith, the process of coming to faith, if not have or, or already have come to faith at this point. But listen, these things are worded not by chance. It says what she do, she leaves her water pot behind. Remember when Jesus called the disciples to follow them and they just left their fishing poles and their boat and everything there, they just left it all behind to go follow Jesus. And most of this beginning of this conversation was all about natural water and so forth. And it says she left it behind. To me, that seems to indicate that she had gotten it. Yeah, I know I need natural water, but that's not my pursuit. I'm leaving that behind and I'm going to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to faith in the Lord again, we're called to put him first. And then we're also called to go tell others about him. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so she goes to do this. She wants to go tell others about Christ. It says, they went out of the city and came to him. And Lord willing, next week we'll read more about what happens. Many, though, we will read will come to believe in him. And what a cause for celebration. There's another passage, though, in Luke 9 where they're through Samaria. And now the Samaritans believe it all. And this is where James and John, John who the Lord used to write this epistle when he was much older in life, 
they turn to Jesus, the sons of thunder, and they say, hey, they don't believe, Lord. Can we call fire down on them like Elijah did and burn them all? And the Lord, remember, says, listen, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I think there's kind of a, a, a double thing here. Listen, there's going to be sometimes we share when people are going to believe. Maybe many will believe. And there's going to be other times when they're, they're not going to believe, and we're going to be tempted to be angry at them and call down fire. Listen, don't get caught up in the numbers. Just be faithful to pray and share the gospel with individuals because, listen, it might be an expedition of just planting seeds that time. And then we leave angry, but we've been obedient to the Lord. And you know what? Those seeds are planted for someone else to come along to water. And eventually, if there's ever, ever faith, it's not because of the seed planter or the water. It's the Lord that, again, brings forth that life as we read about in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. So... Listen, a lot of truth here for us, a lot of things to consider. Again, um, we want to be led of the Lord of these things. And if you're here this morning and if you haven't come to the Lord, again, all of us are, are, are in sin. And God's not bringing sin into glory. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. And indeed, it doesn't matter where you are on the social scale in this world, what men would think of you, what you've done. He wants to save you and wash you. And that comes when we humble our heart and actually call on him to be the Lord and Savior of our life. Let's stand up and close in prayer right now. Well, Lord, indeed, we bless you. We praise you, Lord. I want to pray, God, I know that we've just kind of scratched the surface of this passage and Lord I would hope God that we would think on it more that you would continue to minister to our hearts God through it Lord I just thank you God as I read this I thank you for your love for all people God your desire to see all come to know you Lord I just marvel God myself that you would be willing to leave God the mass numbers in Judea to go up through Samaria really a in a way, a forbidden place to go find a woman that seems to be the greatest outcast to minister to her, despite all of her uh, immorality and infidelity and so forth, to meet her with the gospel. Oh, Lord, what a loving God that you are. I pray, God, that that in itself would minister to us greatly, God. Absolutely, Lord, we're not called to condone sin or turn a blind eye to it, but we are called to love sinners and to know that the only thing that saves us is your grace and you're wanting to save all who would call on your name. So just help us in these things, God. Let us think biblically. Let us be careful not to get influenced by the voices of the day that even want to provoke hate and heart and so forth, God. Just help us in that, Lord. And listen, as we close this morning, if you haven't called on Jesus, he wants to give you those living waters he absolutely wants to give you eternal life. And the Bible tells us very clearly that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And that means you're asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life, which means you're turning from being your own Lord. It, it's repentance. It's saying, God, forgive me. I, I, I want to, by your grace through faith, be a follower of Jesus. And I want to receive the salvation you have to offer. And if that's you today and you're saying, I want that. Maybe you've just even in your heart already professed, Jesus, forgive me and, and be my Lord. I, I want to lead you in a prayer.
just to affirm and to confirm, you know, where you are, that you can leave here knowing you've called on the name of Jesus. And so any of you this morning that would be in that place, I want to invite you to pray with me. And those of you that know the Lord, I want to invite you to pray with any, just in supporting them who would be calling upon his name. Let's just pray together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need that living water. I need to be forgiven and washed of my sin and transgressions. I believe he died on the cross and you rose from the grave to give me life. I want to receive that. Be my Lord, be my savior and forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and do the work that only you can do in my life. I thank you, Lord. Lord, just bless any praying that prayer, God, that profession of faith, God, for the first time, or maybe just settling the issue, Lord, wanting to know that they know they've called on your name. Just meet them where they are. Shine your face upon them, God. And Lord, let us lift our voices to you right now as we close and give you praise to your name. Let's worship them.
bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.